Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Berger versus North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP, certiorari to United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Argued March 21st, 2022, decided June 23rd, 2022. Um, if you'd like to support me or the podcast, find the uh, PayPal link in the show notes. In 2018, North Carolina amended its constitution to provide that voters offering to vote in person shall present photographic identification. Article 6, Section 2, Clause 4. To implement the constitutional mandate, the General Assembly approved Senate Bill 824. The governor vetoed the bill. The General Assembly overrode the veto, and Senate Bill 824 went into effect. The state conference of the NAACP then sued the governor and members of the state board of elections, collectively board, a state agency whose members are both appointed and removable by the governor. The NAACP alleged that SB 824 offends the federal constitution. The board was defended by the state's attorney general, who, like the governor, is an independent elected official. The attorney general at the time was a former state senator who voted against an earlier voter ID law and filed a declaration in support of a legal challenge against it. The Speaker of the State House of Representatives and President Pro Tempore of the the State Senate, here and after legislative leaders, moved to intervene, arguing that without their participation, important state interests would not be adequately represented in light of the governor's opposition to SB 824. The board's allegiance to the governor and its tepid defense of SB 824 in parallel state court proceedings, and the attorney general's opposition to earlier voter ID efforts. The district court applied a presumption that the legislative leader's interests would be adequately represented by the governor, board, and the attorney general, and denied their motion to intervene. Unsatisfied with the board's defense, following the denial of their motion, the legislative leaders sought to lodge an amicus brief and accompanying materials, but the district court refused to consider them, struck them from the record, and granted a preliminary injunction barring enforcement of SB 824. The Fourth Circuit considered both district court rulings in separate appeals before separate panels. On the preliminary injunction ruling, the panel held that the district court had abused its discretion because the record contained insufficient evidence to show that SB 824 violated the federal constitution. On the, on the intervention ruling, a separate panel agreed with the legislative leaders and held that the district court had erred when denying them leave to intervene. Eventually, however, the Fourth Circuit decided to rehear the matter in bank and ruled that the legislative leaders were not entitled to intervene in the district court proceedings. This court agreed to hear the matter to resolve disagreements among the courts of appeals on the proper treatment of motions to intervene in cases like this one. Um, Supreme Court held. Uh, Decision below is reversed and Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion. North Carolina's legislative leaders are entitled to intervene in this litigation. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 24A2 
provides that a court must permit anyone to intervene who, one, untimely motion, two, claims an interest relating to the property or transaction that is the subject of the action, and is so situated that disposing the action may, as a practical matter, impair or impede the movement's ability to protect its interest. Three, unless existing parties adequately represent that interest, no one disputes the timeliness of the motion to intervene here. The court thus addresses the rule's two remaining requirements. States possess a legitimate interest in the continued enforcement of their own statutes, um, that's Cameron versus EMW Women's Surgical Center. And states may organize themselves in a variety of ways. When a state chooses to allocate authority among different officials who do not answer to one another, different interests and perspectives, all important to the administration of state government, may emerge. See, for example, Brnovich versus Democratic National Committee. Appropriate respect for these realities suggests that federal courts should rarely question that a state's interest will be practically impaired or impeded if its duly authorized representatives are excluded from participating in federal litigation challenging state law. Nor are state interests the only interests at stake. Permitting the participation of lawfully authorized state agents promotes informed federal court decisions, decision-making and avoids the risk of setting aside duly enacted state law based on incomplete understandings of relevant state interests. This court's teaching on those scores have been many clear and recent. See, for example, Virginia House of Delegates versus Bethune Hill, Hollingsworth versus Perry. These precedents and the principles they represent are dispositive here. North Carolina law explicitly provides that the Speaker of the House of Representatives and the President pro tempore of the Senate, as agents of the state, by and through counsel of their choice, shall jointly have standing to intervene on behalf of the General Assembly as a party in any judicial proceeding challenging a North Carolina statute or provision of the North Carolina Constitution. That's North Carolina General Stat Statutes uh, Annotated Section 1-72.2b, and the state has made plain that it considers the leaders of the General Assembly necessary parties to suits like this one. See sections 122, or yeah, 120-32.6b. Um, the board submits that North Carolina law does not afford the legislative leaders authority to represent state interests, but that argument is difficult to square with the express statutory language. Alternatively, the board argues that the statutes authorizing the legislative leaders to participate here violate the state constitution by usurping power vested in the executive branch alone. That logic is hard to follow, however, given the board's concession that the legislative leaders may intervene permissively under Rule 24b, and likely as a matter of right under Rule 24A-2, if the Attorney General ceases to defend the law. The NAACP offers a different reply, pointing out that Rule 24A-2 permits intervention only by new parties, and it submits the legislative leaders are already effectively existing parties to this suit, challenging the enforcement of state law. That argument rests on a premise that is both formally and functionally mistaken. 
First, the NAACP has not sued the state, but only certain state officers, and so far the legislative leaders are not among them. Functionally, however, this suit implicates North Carolina's sovereign interests, regardless of the named parties. And where a state chooses to divide its sovereign authority among different officials and authorize their participation in a suit challenging state law, a full consideration of the state's practical interests may require the involvement of different voices with different perspectives. Concerning Rule 24A2's third requirement, lower courts have adopted a variety of testing for evaluating whether an existing defendant already has, uh, sorry, evaluating whether an existing defendant already adequately represents the same interest a proposed intervener seeks to vindicate. Here, both the District Court and the Inbound Court of Appeals improperly applied a presumption that the board adequately represented the legislative leaders' interests and held that the leaders could not overcome this presumption. But Rule 24A2's test in this regard presents proposed interveners with only a minimal challenge. It promises intervention to those who bear an interest that may, practical, that may be practically impaired or impeded unless existing parties adequately represent that same interest. Um, CEG Turbovich versus Mine Workers. Um, some lower courts have suggested that a presumption of adequate representation remains appropriate in certain, certain classes of cases. But even taken on their own terms, none of these presumptions applies to a case like this one. For instance, some lower courts have adopted a presumption of adequate representation in cases where a movement's interests are identical to those of an existing party, but even the board concedes that this presumption applies only when interests fully overlap. This litigation illustrates how divided state governments sometimes warrant participation by multiple state officials in federal court. Here, the legislative leaders seek to give voice to a perspective different from the board's. They assert an unalloyed interest in vindicating state law from constitutional challenge. Without an eye to cross-cutting administrative concerns, concerns that have colored the board's defense thus far. The NAACP worries that allowing the legislative leaders to intervene could make trial management impossible. While a, prolifer while a proliferation of motions to intervene may be a cause for concern in some cases, this case is not one. Federal courts routinely handle cases involving multiple officials, sometimes represented by different attorneys, taking different positions. See, for example, Whole Women's Health versus Jackson. Whatever additional burdens aiding the legislative leaders to this case may pose, those burdens fall well within the bounds of everyday case management. The decision below is reversed. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Breyer, Alito, Kagan, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined. Justice Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion.